you doing the little finger hand gesture just made give me give me give me a man for me not like that for some reason instantly played in my head that's funny i was truly admiring my own nail polish on the video it's call beautiful it's se like quick dry mm-hmm. mine are fake nails you always do that and it makes me so mad because that <laughs> shit gets stuck in my hair yeah I painted my banister gold. (gasps) You've been talking about how you want to paint your beautiful home for a while now. Were Mm -hmm. you able to pick a blue? Because I know you were struggling on a blue color. Girl, no. Okay, so one of the walls is just covered in little swatches of paint because every time I'm like, okay, I have the color. It's not it. It's either too light or too dark, and I am going to have to go into Home Depot or Lowe's or wherever and just be like, guys, the between. I need the between mm-hmm. of this. Figure it out. Mm-hmm. It's so annoying. Uh, if it makes me feel better, I watched a TikTok this morning of someone who tried over 50 different blue paint swatches trying to find the right one. First of all, I don't know what it is about teal that is so difficult mm-hmm. <laughs> for wall paint, but I have the exact right color. It's just too dark, and I tried to level it up. Like, I took the paint swatch card and just mm-hmm. went to the next lighter one, and the next lighter one is from a whole different universe. They're not even friends. That is so deeply frustrating. So, instead of dealing with that, you painted... Your banister gold, which sounds beautiful and amazing. It looks great, but you can't see it right now against the white wall. (laughs) White and gold's a great moment. We love that look, though. I want it to be teal. I'm such a color snob. That's the fundamental problem. You got to be like me. Well, you got to be like me, but better, because my real true self doesn't care about doing home decor. Like, I love looking at beautiful home decor. I love having an aesthetic home, but... Apparently, it's one of the things I hate doing the most. Like, I truly hate having to make the decisions. I I do, too. So my dream is to become wealthy enough that I can go to a retreat for a week and come home and someone has fully decorated my house based on my interests. Okay. When I tell you trading spaces, boys versus girls, not the adult one where everyone was like, I'll take your living room and make it beige-er. No, trading spaces, boys versus girls, the ones where they were like, Tommy likes dinosaurs, so we made his bedroom Jurassic Park themed. Yeah. And Jessica likes carnivals, so she has a real popcorn maker in her room. Like when they went nuts on the theme, like when I tell you that defined how I think of decor, like <laughs> I want my home to look like some kid's themed bedroom. <laughs> Oh, same. I mean, my my thing is I have so many different vibes. So my loft that I'm recording in right now, the whole wall behind me is basically black. It's a dark charcoal with bookshelves and constellations and plants and this this little disco chandelier that Jamie made that's hanging up right there (laughs) behind me. My living room is a similar. It's like an apothecary vibe. Everything's wood and green and gold and it's skulls. But then Jamie's room is pink and green. And my room is pale gray with whites and pops of green. It's like a little fairy retreat. So I guess the point of my story is make your house a home, whatever that means for you. Home decor just feels so permanent. And I get that people are good at it. But I can never get to the point where I can hide my own belongings enough to look 
Like I just go with maximalist. When you have so many things, it overwhelms your guests and they can't perceive any of it. Yes, but there's maximalism that is like I always hang a million pictures on the walls kind of like decor. And then mm-hmm. there's like I exist in this space. So there's papers and books everywhere. And Oh, yeah. It's never pristine, perfect. Right. Like there's cute maximalism and then there's like I live here. <laughs> yeah. There's the, the picture of my bookshelf when it was freshly made and decorated. And then there's the reality of the fact that there's like two mugs sitting on there from recording and – Mm. you know a book that i didn't know where to put it that just got slotted onto a shelf like it's there's listen instagram isn't real online stuff isn't real but we're real and we're here to talk to you oh my gosh exactly the transition i would have done tracy that was beautiful hi i'm rowan hall thank you (laughs) and i'm tracy harrison and this is willing and fable the podcast that brings you original retellings and in-depth research on the history mystery and mythology that makes the world so fascinating Each week, we research a topic from history or mythology, and then we write an original story to go along with that topic. So if you'd like to support the podcast and join our awesome, creative, and possibly occult, but legally distinct from occult community, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash willingandfable. If you do, you'll be cool like Roxanne Y. Thank you so much for joining the Willing and Fable family, Roxanne. We really appreciate your support. Thank you so much for joining us. And also, shout out to Roxanne. They messaged us to say we have a spelling error on our Patreon, and I have never been so grateful. (laughs) They immediately complimented our writing, and I was like, but clearly, we do not see spelling errors. No, no. I have that brain of like, why write rough draft? Just write once and don't think again. Which is not good. (laughs) Like, Roxanne came into the community and was like, hi, I'm the most valuable player. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) Uh, So thank you so much also for that really kind, so sweet message that you sent over. I laughed out loud. (laughs) (laughs) I can confirm. I was on the phone with her when she was reading it. (laughs) Also, if you want to support the podcast in a fast, free way, you could listen all the way through the end credits to the very last second of the episode. It sounds crazy, but listening to every single moment is a big, shiny metric for podcasters. And if you do it, you'll get to hear a fun little surprise that editor Tyler leaves at the end for everyone. They're always delightful. (laughs) Or you can contemplate the size and scope of the universe and your space within it, and realize that it doesn't matter that you said you too when the waiter said enjoy your meal. It's fine. But no matter what, we're happy you joined us today. When I tell you that started off with me going, absolutely not, and then me getting on board. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's not about feeling tiny and small. It's like, there's so much in this world, no one cares that you had a little goof, okay? It's all good. I actually have a thing I call I call it like we have to do a feel small activity where, you know, I grab someone and, you know, you have to go to the ocean and look at how far it goes or you have to mm-hmm. go up to there's this really cool observatory in Los Angeles and, you know, look at the stars like you have to feel tiny in a vast universe to put everything into perspective. I love doing that. I'll never forget one time I think it was in high school. We were standing in this parking lot, my friends and I. Trying to decide something, and honestly, I don't remember what it was. We were having this big debate over whether or not we should do something. And some random 
older woman walks up and she's like, I can tell you guys are really like stressed trying to figure something out. Just ask yourself in a year from now, will it matter if it goes well, if it goes poorly, will it even matter in a year from now? I think about that basically every day. Wow, I didn't take that the right way. That's like a beautiful romantic moment. And I'm over here like, but if it does matter in a year from now, probably then you have license to freak out. Then you should think (laughs) more about it. You should. It's like making a big decision. You know, if you're trying to think about, do I get a new job in a year from now? Like, Yes, that will very much impact you. If you're trying to decide if you should just stay home or go out to that cool bar with your friends in a year from now, will either one really matter? No, don't worry too much about that decision. That's such good perspective. I'm so happy for you. (laughs) I'm not saying I'm good at it. I'm just saying that one time a random woman came up and left a beautiful nugget of wisdom. Props to her. I think about this so often. I'm like, she just walked up to a group of teenagers, clearly trying to decide to do something. And I don't even remember. The worst part is I don't remember what it was. So clearly a year from then, it didn't matter. Truly, she kind of risked her life because teenagers are feral. Absolutely. Well, we were clearly a group of nerdy theater kids. We were not the kind of teenagers who would look at you and read you to filth kind of thing, you know? (laughs) We were the kind of teenagers that you look at and you go, they definitely do extracurricular volunteer work for fun. I want one of those teenagers to see me and go, oh, my God, she looks so cool. But to do that, I would both have to look cool and go out into public. Yes. Agreed. (laughs) We're both wearing sweatshirts right now. So I think our bar is pretty low. Fashion. It's fashion, mom. Okay, Rowan, what did you bring for us today? I finally, finally committed to doing the episode on Kitsune which has been on my list for a minute, a minute, Mm -hmm. at least since season two. And (laughs) growing up, I was like vaguely, and I really do mean vaguely, familiar with Kitsune in the way that like many folks who casually enjoy like anime or manga might be. Like I could have said- I would put myself in the same category 100%. All I can tell you right now, Japanese fox spirit. Right. Yeah. Japanese fox spirit does magic. That's it. I think people cosplay and add, like, tails and stuff when, like, for anime cosplays. I'm wildly out of my depth in this one. Yeah, I always think of those little, like, fox girls. Yes. With the cute little – but I actually don't know. Like, I don't think that that qualifies. Okay. It, I mean, it depends on, like, how far you're willing to let interpretations go, right, I guess, right. and qualify. But we have a mythology podcast now, so I did get to say, oh, wait, Rowan, you can have the thing. Yes. And this was suggested not just by you, but by our mythic patrons, right? Yes. And so we put it on the list for a poll recently, and the mythic patrons, yes, and did. And I was so happy. And you were very gracious when I was like, can I? Can I, please? Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. So thank you to the mythic patrons for like feeling my, my desire and yes, anding us. I will say I was shocked by how hard it was to research this topic. The weebs have invaded all of the information on the internet. Not all of it. A large chunk of it. Mm-hmm. So I would come across a source that would sound very official. It would look very official. And, you know, I always go to the about page on a website because I want to know who's writing this. Same. And it would be some 
white guy named Kyle with his picture of him and a samurai sword like, and a very obnoxious write-up about oh. how he was a an authority on Japanese culture. And not, not one that you felt comfortable trusting. No, no. You know, yeah. there are... There are there are levels because there you could you know it could be a, a white guy who's a got a doctorate in history or you know yeah not that not that uh, very unsavory mm. more more that they have it's the kind of person who's like I'm very fixated on this thing so so I know a lot about it so I'm going to say a lot about it but not necessarily the person that we should be listening to when it comes to this topic right like I okay. love a cited source everyone should cite their sources unless you are a first hand source, meaning you have a doctorate, you write the research paper, you do the experiment, you are at the site, like, you gotta cite your sources, and this was not that. Okay. So, that said, uh, I tried not to include anything that I didn't find from at least two sources that were trustworthy. Yeah. Yep. But... Boy, I feel like there is a lot more to learn, as I do with most topics. Always. Also, I apologize in advance for my Japanese pronunciations. I am so sorry. I'm an English speaker only. (sighs) We do our best on this show. That's all we can promise. Not being bilingual is my greatest downfall. (laughs) (laughs) Any other language, Rowan, just kind of... (laughs) So kitsune is the Japanese word for fox. Mm-hmm. And the kitsune we're discussing, often called fox spirits in translation, are a type of yokai. There's a website called Japan Visual Culture that's an online exhibition that was created by Fordham University students under the supervision of Asato Aikida. And mm-hmm. this website is so cool. Uh, when we're talking about sources. Yeah. Uh, it is so it so clearly oozes enthusiastic university energy. Oh, I love that. This exhibition says of yokai, quote, the term yokai is a complicated one to understand. It is often translated in English to mean monster, though this translation fails to encompass the full meaning of the word. The word yokai was first used in the Meiji period, 1868 to 1912, by scholar Inoue and Ryo to describe the supernatural phenomena recorded through Japan's history. The word yokai itself means uncanny or eerie, and can refer to everything from strange sounds and feelings to mythical animals and even ghosts. Before the Meiji period, other words were used, such as bakemano in the Edo period and mononoke in the Heian period, 794 to 1185. To simply translate yokai as monster is to vastly oversimplify their meaning within the culture and history of Japan. That makes me think of our Sappho episode when you talked about the couple that you know who translate for a living and the struggles with the cultural context of one word translating Mm -hmm. to another. Yeah, pretty much. And This falls under this heading, this idea that I'm very, I keep getting stuck on now that mythology is not any one story. There is no one defining story in a culture that decides, like, these are the only details that can ever be included Mm -hmm. 
Um, so yokai have evolved and their definition has morphed as the culture that uses the word needed it to. Right. And that really excites me, actually. <laughs> so as with most figures and classifications from mythology and folklore, there is no one definition for the yokai. What type of creature may or may not fall under that heading, how the word can be used. Yokai have roots in both Taoist philosophy and Shinto. And within the Shinto religion, there are figures called kami who are spirits, quote, mm -hmm. holy powers or, quote, godlike figures that can reside in natural objects and are venerated within the practice. So Japan visual culture goes on to explain that in some tales, a kami who is not properly celebrated could become a vengeful yokai or vice versa. Oh. And this is not holding true in every version of a yokai, but it is right. a, a really clear integration. Some classifications put ghosts under this wide heading and others do not. And in the past, you've heard me mention oni or ogres, demons, the most negatively depicted yokai. Right. And in the future, you may hear us discuss kappa, which are water spirits that are commonly mm -hmm. considered to be yokai. Truly, there are so many, too many to list. Moving forward, I am going to be discussing many of the standard definitions I've learned, but there's no one-size-fits-all, and that very much applies to kitsune. Okay. Within yokai folklore, foxes possess the ability to shapeshift into a human form, an ability they're known to employ to play tricks or become friends or lovers. And when I say foxes, I mean potentially any run-of-the-mill fox. Mm, okay, that's really cool. Not all, but it is, in many cases, inherent to the animal itself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The older and wiser a kitsune has become, the more tails it possesses. And they can have up to nine. So the Pokemon Nine Tails was inspired by this lore. Yes. Though Kitsune is often translated as fox spirit, not fundamentally different from a fox in any okay. given tale. Okay. Noriko T. Raider writes in their book, Japanese Demon Lore, Oni from Ancient Times to Present, that, quote, the Edo period, which is from 1600 to 1868, is an interesting time and space in Japanese culture in which individuals from all walks of life on some level or another, seemed to unite in their belief in the supernatural. It was during this time that the belief that foxes were, quote, witch animals rose, and they began to be seen as incredibly untrustworthy. Okay, the idea of the sly trickster fox. Mm -hmm. And it was around this time period that this was also happening with foxes in other parts of the world. Right. So, Tracy, I pulled this picture... This object is called an inro, and it's from the late 18th century. It's depicting the fox's wedding. And an inro is a hard case pouch that was hung from the belt of a kimono. This one is from the Edo period, which was known for its superstition, and especially the way that mythology was integrated into daily life and government. This piece depicts to Kitsune getting married, which was signaled by a sun shower or rain falling on a clear day. Mm. And this event's a good omen, but any person that sees it or 
invades the ceremony, basically the kitsune are going to seek revenge on them. Oh, okay. So it's their private space that Mm -hmm. humans aren't allowed to see. This is a beautiful, beautiful piece of art. There's a lot of, a surprising amount of colors given the the age of it. You have different shades of greens and you have that bright pop of red in the back and multiple kitsune. And then what I love is it looks like on kind of the tail end. So it's a square uh, hard object with the strap that would attach to the kimono. And at the end of that strap, it looks like there's a bunch of mice. Yeah. Kind of watching on. It looks like a bunch of rats or mice that may or I don't know if they're watching or running away, but that would be the the piece that would be used to it, like weight it and kind of mm-hmm. attach it. I wonder if the lacquer that is covering this caused the piece to yellow with age or if it always had these really gold tones because it's so beautiful. Right. In this warm color scheme. Right. And I would have liked to have seen it, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years ago to know. Mm-hmm. I just really, when I found this, I was so excited because it's it's exciting to see mythology incorporated into everyday objects that aren't just ancient Egyptian or ancient Greek or ancient Roman. We right. see those a lot. Like, here's the vase. Here's the urn. And I think when we look at other mythologies, people forget to be like, oh, here's this object. Like, this happens all the time all over the world. Right. Yes. Yeah. Because it's usually... And, and and it's just also there's a whole we could do a whole episode on the way that people other any religion that's not Christianity mm-hmm. it's like this was used in worship and here we see an example of this thing and it's like this was just an everyday object it's, it's things are just allowed to be everyday things and part of your day to day experience and it is incredibly luxurious mm-hmm. and it's exciting to see the times that someone took an object that was valuable, that took time and effort and cost a lot of money, and what story they chose to incorporate into that. Yes. During the Edo period, Tracy, buckle up. You're going to get so excited about this. Okay. During the Edo period, worship of Inari Okami spread. Popular in Shinto and Buddhist beliefs and sometimes called Onari, they are the kami of foxes, fertility, tea, rice, sake, agriculture and industry, as well as more general prosperity. I say they because, to quote Wikipedia, they are, quote, represented as male, female, or androgynous. Inari is sometimes seen as a collective of three or five individual kami. So we have a really, really cool moment where they is both being used as a singular And a plural pronoun for the same being. Oh, I love that. It's such a good example of other cultures realizing that self-expression doesn't have to be this binary thing. I did not know that this this kami was going to be part of the story. And it was way too late at night for me to shout to the (laughs) level that I did. Worship of Inari goes back as early as 711 AD with the founding of the Shrine at Inari Mountain, and by the 16th century, they also became the spirit of blacksmiths and warriors. Yeah, go. Go, Inari. We love to see it. I know. Inari's kitsune were all white and acted as messengers. There's a myth 
depicting Inari as a goddess who came to Japan not long after its creation when a horrible famine struck the land. And in the story, she descended from the heavens on a white fox carrying sheaves of grain. Mm. In her female form, Inari is most popularly depicted as a young goddess of food. In his male form, he is usually seen as an old man carrying rice. And in their androgynous form, they are sometimes shown as a person who was on the path to Buddhahood. Oh, okay. That's so cool. From one myth to another, they may be male, they may be female. It is so cool. And just different. It's not even just that, oh, they're changing from male to female to androgynous. It's different types of ways of being. Mm-hmm. The, the young goddess with the food, the old, the older man carrying rice and, and someone on their path to Buddhahood. Like, that's so cool. Okay. Go with me on this journey. Always. Inanna mm-hmm. is walking around the museum from your story. Yeah. And Inari pops in. Imagine the friendship. Oh, they would sit down and have so, so much. Ooh, they would have such a good friendship. They would just sit and observe everyone else. All, and especially like all the, the newer gods and goddesses just doing their thing. And then just sitting back like, yeah, we're still here. People still talk about us. I just love to imagine them going on a date to brunch or something. And one yeah. of them being like, I'm going to serve mask. And the other one being like, cool, I'm going to serve femme today. <laughs> like, yes. Just <laughs> bouncing around between mm-hmm. all the different ways they could do it. Be like, today is pancakes let's serve this look (laughs) oh yeah yeah the epitome of like sir sir, ma'am just confusing everyone yes because of inari's association with the kitsune they do have a fox form in some tales but there are also others where they appear as a snake a dragon or a wicked spider Regional traditions in particular affect their depiction in any given story. That makes sense. Shrines to Inari heavily feature fox imagery. The Fushimi Inari Shrine in Fushimi, Kyoto, Japan, is one of the most famous and has statues of kitsune marking the entrance. No matter how small most shrines to Inari will feature these foxes and are sometimes taken to be symbols of the figure themselves as they are usually shown as pairs of a male and a female fox. Okay. The statues almost always have red bibs as a sign of their divinity and they often hold symbolic objects in their mouths or under their paws. A sheaf of rice, a key, a jewel, a fox cub. Those are all common examples. Okay. Sometimes a scroll. In the past, some of the temples were homes to live foxes, but that's not really in practice today. A visitor might leave an offering at the shrine to please the kitsune as they are the messengers who will speak to Inari on the worshiper's behalf. Okay. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah, they're the messengers. It's so cool. Uh, I just love I just love imagining a fox like petitioning. I just I see foxes in the wild all around me and mm-hmm. I when you see them you have that moment of every time every time I see them and I make eye contact with a fox in the wild like they they just feel intelligent like they just feel like they're thinking and to imagine that all of them are running around and able to communicate with other beings on your behalf is so cool 
And such a, you can see where that came from if you've ever been able to interact or see a fox in the wild for a brief moment. I don't even know if you know this. They're very, very close to my parents' house. Like, my parents live in the woods, but Mm -hmm. truly, right next to the house, there's an old tree trunk that has been cut off. And underneath the tree trunk, there's a little fox den. And so the last couple seasons, there's been a mommy fox and her little gaggle of cubs that stumble out in the mornings. That's so cute. And the babies whine like little humans. Oh, the sounds that foxes make are horrifying. Yeah. It sounds like a human being viciously attacked and screaming for its life. Very much like mountain lions. They have that human quality to their whines. And also, not everyone knows this about me on the podcast, I think, but I am very, very deeply obsessed with fox and rabbit imagery mm-hmm. in in cultures i have a lot of art of it so yeah just, mm, foxes okay so <laughs> uh a visitor could leave rice sake and food as common mm-hmm. offerings and shops near a shrine might offer fried tofu uh to people on their way up as this is believed to be a favorite food of the foxes that they can't resist they love it okay. so much so it's a mm-hmm. perfect offering Yo, same though. Right. <laughs> I love fried tofu. <laughs> it's so good. Uh, there's a spa next to near my house that makes it with tamarind dip. Ugh. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Tracy, here is a picture of a kitsune statue at the Inari Shrine in Fushimi, Kyoto, Japan. Okay. This seems to be a pretty large statue. Yeah, this the- is a big one. Okay. Because the angle is looking up at it. It's like a, a kind of deep green stone is what it appears to be made out of. It has the red bib around its neck, and it's got, I'm guessing, a, a sheath of wheat in its mouth, something golden hanging out of its mouth. Yeah, she, I mean, people mention rice a lot, but she is, there are stories of her actually with a variety of grains that she brings to people or mm-hmm. teaches them to plant or provides them. So I feel like that's very classic. And I forgot to say, this is a statue of a fox. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, now, Tracy, look at the next image because it's kitsune statues in a very different setting. I don't actually know the location, unfortunately. I just think this image is amazing. This is incredible. So these are stone statues, so gray statues, all with red bibs around their necks, all different shapes and sizes of kitsune, some with round ears, some with pointed ears, some profile to the viewer, some straight on, some laying down, some sitting up. And it just goes back and back. It's like a hill or steps. You can't even tell. And it goes as far back as the camera can capture. I love this one so much because front and center, a little ways back, there's a statue that's looking straight at the viewer that looks like it's mid-laugh. Yes. (laughs) And then not far off to one side, there's one fox that looks so serious. Mm Mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. I, the variety of emotions is awesome. <laughs> the kitsune shares similarities with the Chinese stories of the Huli Ching, a Chinese fox spirit that also may have nine tails, and the Kumiho fox spirit from Korea. Many of the earliest recorded stories of these figures are found in the Konjaku Monogatsurishu, an 11th century Japanese collection of Japanese, Chinese, and Indian tales. Okay. So some say that the kitsune comes directly from China. 
so the 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 mythology was brought from China to Japan. Okay, some people say that. But to quote Wikipedia, quote Japanese folklorist Kiyoshi Nozaki argues that the Japanese regarded Kitsune positively as early as the fourth century A.D. The only things imported from China or Korea were the Kitsune's negative attributes. He states that, according to a 16th century book of records called the Nihon Ryaki, foxes and human beings lived closely together in ancient Japan, and he contends that indigenous legends about the creatures arose as a result. Inari scholar Karen Smyers notes that the idea of the fox as seductress and the connection of the foxsmiths to Buddhism were introduced into Japanese folklore through similar Chinese stories, but she maintains that some fox stories contain elements unique to Japan. So as with everything, the origins are slightly unclear and cultures merge together to create something new. Absolutely. We encounter this a lot in stories from all over the world. We were talking about it not long ago off podcast with uh, Russian folklore and how it spreads to the surrounding countries. It's mm-hmm. just that natural diffusion. Mm-hmm. We have no way of really knowing it, which way it went. Right. One of my favorite stories of fox spirits that I read mm-hmm. actually describes Huliqing from China transforming into a beautiful woman. This spirit has a particular taste for seducing powerful men to manipulate or toy with them. Ooh, we love to see it. We <laughs> love that energy. Ancient Origins says, quote, The men whom Huli Jing are with often come to power very quickly, becoming famous with great wealth and swaths of land. However, once Huli Ching has taken all the energy generated by his hubris, and when the man begins to become old and senile and no longer able to produce the energy she craves, the Huli Ching will leave, taking her immortal beauty and good luck with her while leaving her ex to pine and wither over his lost love and luxury. Such Lenan Shi vibes. Such Lenan Shi vibes. Oh my god. It's... Oof. And kudos to, to Huli Jing for not just axing the men when she's done with them. She just leaves them to pine and wonder. It's beautiful. I, I love, love it so much. <laughs> uh, I, didn't, I didn't know that there were so many different types of fox spirits, especially different ones in different countries, because I... I, I was like, Kitsune, Fox Girl, anime, yeah. like that. Yeah. <laughs> there are numerous classifications of Kitsune within Japan, but there are mm-hmm. definitely two camps. The Zenko, who are good and often associated with a Nari, and the Nagitsune, who are bad. Okay. Within those classifications, there are many, many subsets, and two popular ones are the Yako, or field foxes, who are mischievous and sometimes malicious, mm-hmm. and the Ninko, who are invisible and can only be perceived by people that have been possessed by them. Ooh. Okay. Ooh, that's so interesting. A normal fox will only live about one to three years in the wild, but some folktales say that... Kitsune will only gain an additional tail 
after a hundred years. In stories, it's most common to hear of one, five, seven, or nine as the number of their tales. And these numbers appear as powerful denominations in stories all over the world. Mm -hmm. A nine-tailed fox can gain a variety of abilities, including the ability to hear or see anything happening anywhere in the world or having infinite wisdom. Wow. When a kitsune with nine tails has lived for a thousand years, it turns all white or gold and becomes a tenko or a heavenly fox and then ascends to the heavens. So Inari's all-white kitsune are heavenly foxes. Okay. Now it's coming together. All right, Tracy. I pulled this artwork for you, but I'll have you take a look at it before I I dive in. It is beautiful. It's very muted. The only colors are white and gray and a bit of green. It is green leaves with white flowers coming in from the left side, and there is a all-white fox laying down on a very misty-looking ground, um, and it's looking back over its shoulder towards its tail. Um, Compositionally, it's very beautiful because the image takes you in from the left side with the branches to the fox's head, which is looking back at its tail, which is connecting back to the branches, and it Mm -hmm. keeps you circularly looking through and seeing more details of, of the painting. This is called Summer Evening by Kansetsu Hashimoto. It's from 1941, and it's currently at the Adachi Museum of Art. And this is a Nihonga-style painting, which is a form of traditional Japanese art that can most easily be identified by its use of golds and silvers, the use of silks or very specific paper blends. There are specific brush strokes. Uh, A lot of times they have natural or national themes Mm. because this artistic genre was part of preserving traditional Japanese artwork. And I always find this style of art most easy to identify by its use of negative or empty space. In Europe at the same time, a lot of the art that was being created was very full canvas, Mm -hmm. not very much blank space. And I pulled this painting specifically because it's fairly modern in terms of the history that we're dealing with. 1941, not very long ago. And I think this emphasizes the way in which this mythology has persisted. Because I'm talking a lot about its origins, but it, Mm -hmm. it didn't go anywhere. Right. These fox spirits have been described with numerous, numerous powers that aren't specifically linked to their tails or their age. The ability to generate fire, sometimes called foxfire, is very famous. Yes, I have heard foxfire many times and didn't totally know what it came from. Well, they can cast it either with a flick of their tail or they can breathe it like a European dragon might. Is, and you might not know the answer to this, is nine tails a fire type Pokemon? Yes, it is. Oh, that's, that's cool. That's real cool. I kind of figured you might ask, so I (laughs) double-checked. You know me. Some of the kitsune can also generate lightning. They could fly, become invisible, appear in dreams, create incredibly realistic illusions. Some could drive a person mad, bend time or space, become a tree or another moon. Some famously feed on the life or spirit of humans most often through sex. And that harkens back to the story we were just talking about. 
Huli Jing mm-hmm. has her powerful man. She sucks him all his life energy. She right. uses him up and then leaves him crusty, dusty, and old. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Perhaps the most famous of all of Akitsune's powers is the ability to transform into a human. Mm-hmm. Kitsune can only begin to take human form after 100 years, though less commonly some tales will say 50. As is the way of many, many shape-shifting stories, Kitsune famously transform into beautiful young women, Mm -hmm. but that's not their only option. Their transformations are not limited by their own age or gender. So there are tales of fox spirits that shift into young girls or boys or old men or even very specific people when mischief needs. I love that for them. I would constantly just be changing it up. You never know what I'm going to transform into. (laughs) So there are numerous ways that you could catch a kitsune who is transformed into a human to trick you. Okay. When they transform, their tails are particularly difficult to hide. So if a kitsune human was drunk or tired, their chosen victim might be able to recognize the tails while they're vulnerable. A very religious person might naturally be able to see through their disguise. Because a kitsune is very old, you might find that they speak very oddly or with an Mm. older dialect. Of course, dogs are the natural enemy of foxes, so in many tales, man's best friend saves the day by scaring the fox spirit into transforming back into its real form. A kitsune who is invisible or in human form will not be able to hide its fox-shaped shadow. So by sunlight or in the light of the moon, they can be found out, I love that that's such a cool twist of mm-hmm. just the regular oh they can shape shift no it's an illusion everything about them seems to be very illusionary but the true form underneath is still there yes and like vampire lore a woman who is truly a kitsune will not keep a mirror and will avoid reflective surfaces as her reflection will reveal that she is truly a fox spirit okay while a human form kitsune might also retain a characteristic as obvious as body fur. Mysterious kitsune women were known to have fox-like faces, Mm. narrow chins, sort of close-set eyes. And a woman encountered alone at dusk or at night, especially out in the countryside, could be a kitsune that was eager to trick you. Yep. Yeah. Ooh. (laughs) Can you imagine that? (laughs) That said, those features on a woman at certain times in certain communities were also considered very valuable for resembling a fox. Yeah. So there's this double-edged sword of, like, she might be someone trying to trick me, but also she is the beauty standard. (laughs) Well, that's like we associate people who have cat-like features very specifically as being – certain types of personalities. You know, cat-like figures, the the kind of elongated, slightly – Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. winged out eye or small nose like there's certain faces and you don't think of those as like cute and sweet they're very authoritative they're sly they're seductive so 
We have that too in our culture. We have different types of faces that we associate, even as they're beautiful, with different types of personalities. You even said it yourself, I remember in college when you dyed your hair red, suddenly you got described as fiery all the time. Yeah, and now I have my natural hair color, which is kind of strawberry blonde, and everyone can put their own thing on it. Like, there's Mm -hmm. so, and you know, you're a brunette, you have all those things that are attached to being a brunette when some people are talking to you, older men. Yeah. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. It I mean we there is also the fox eye trend which at sometimes is neutral and sometimes is very racist. <laughs> right. And it's interesting to see that reflected in modern makeup and then go back to this mythology that is very heavily entrenched in this women and fox link. Mhm. <laughs> So Kitsune are tricksters, and they use their powers often to humble proud samurai or people who are greedy or boastful, but some might just abuse their power against those who are poor or vulnerable. Uh, Their goals might be humiliation or vengeance, but they are as likely to act out of a desire to steal or seduce someone. Mm. So... In many stories, kitsune victims are usually men because kitsune prefer to possess women. Okay. Mm -hmm. Victims of kitsune possessions are usually young, beautiful women. And this is called kitsune tsuki. And the fox spirit usually enters through her fingernails or her breasts. I don't know which one sounds worse to me. I know. I don't know the mechanics of it, but ow. Doesn't Mm. it make your fingers hurt? Okay. This possession can cause the woman's face to take on those aspects of a fox, but it can also reveal itself through behavior. For example, someone who is illiterate might suddenly be able to read. Oh. Oh, okay. This This is implications. These possessions could occur purely due to the will of the fox, but were also part of rituals of fox employers or witches who worked with fox familiars. We love it. In Japan, there were, during this time of superstition, these witches, these fox employers, there were Witches that worked with snakes mm-hmm. a lot of the time in stories, but there were more commonly w- witches that worked with foxes. And there were two types, those who came by their familiar hereditarily, and those were called the sukimono suji. Mm-hmm. And there were also the kitsune mochi, who would bribe the fox with things like food and care to strike up this deal. Okay. Are you thinking of Witches Familiars, the episode? Because I am. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. I'm also thinking about would I want a fox or a snake because I love both very much. Personally, I would want a fox. I've owned a snake. I love snakes. They're sweet little beans, but I'm all about that fox. Yeah. Yeah, I guess you're right. It it depends on if the fox would let me cuddle it. It makes me wonder, (laughs) we were talking about Harry Potter not long ago, how much of Nagini, I think that's the character's name, was based on this. Oh, no. Yeah. She she was very ripped out of Japanese folklore. Yeah. Like, her name basically means snake. She's like snake snake. 
<laughs> when you dig into it. It's not great. Mr. McDick McGuy. Yeah, she named her snake character Snake, basically. Yeah. Oh, JK. <sighs> Back to Kitsune. <laughs> well, I mean, hold on to that wolf energy because Lafcadio Hearn wrote a book called Glimpses of Unfamiliar Japan. And this man uses the phrase the Orient liberally. Mm. So we're not fans of his perspective. But I want to read a quote from this book because he describes people being possessed by kitsune mm -hmm. with what is clearly an outside eye. And it reminds me of a few other descriptions from history. And I want to hear your thoughts. Quote, Strange is the madness of those into whom demon foxes enter. Sometimes they run naked, shouting through the streets. Sometimes they lie down and froth at the mouth and yelp as a fox yelps. And on some part of the body of the possessed, a moving lump appears under their skin, which seems to have a life of its own. Prick it with a needle, and it glides instantly to another place. By no grasp can it be so tightly compressed by a strong hand that it will not slip from under the fingers. Possessed folk are also said to speak and write languages of which they were totally ignorant prior to possession. They eat only what foxes are believed to, and they eat a great deal, alleging that not they, but the possessing foxes are hungry. This sounds to me like an explanation for, well, a variety of potential medical or mental illnesses. <sighs> Combined with a cultural heritage of expressing itself this way. So what I'm saying is the same way that we see a lot of mental illnesses expressed through the idea of demonic possession in extremely Christian cultures, this is a way for people to categorize and express potential mental or medical illnesses in Japanese culture. Tracy, you always pick up what I am throwing down. <laughs> oh, I'm glad. This reminds me so much of the research that I learned in the episode where I covered the djinn. Mm -hmm. But this is being described by someone who is biased from the exterior of the culture. Right. Kitsune Suki was an explanation for mental illness until the early 20th century. It was used as an actual diagnosis as early as 794 AD, and this descriptor was linked to mental illness, but also an illness that caused fever or, mm -hmm. or something that we think of as a more, quote, physical illness. Yeah. In modern psychiatry, Kitsune Suki is similar but different from clinical lycanthropy, and it is a culture-specific syndrome that is still present and used as a diagnosis today. So it's exactly what you were talking about. Mm -hmm. It is that intersection of culture and mental health. Which is something that I know from my, oh God, years of psychology study in college before I switched to computer science is, is something that Japan is really uh, kind of a leader in, blending culture and modernity. Um, and they, are, they have a few cultural specific mental disorders that are unique to that area based on the culture and the way that they communicate and interact with each other that is different from American culture and, and issues that we see. And it's just not present here, but then some of the things that we experience are not present there. It's so interesting to me the way that our brains can be shaped so differently just based on where we were raised. 
It was really interesting seeing the contrast of this quote, which is very old, and then how it's discussed in more modern literature. Mm-hmm. It makes me really happy because it's it's going in the right direction. And I, I it just took me right back to the Jin episode because I got to read a modern paper where people used that lore to actually help someone. Yes. Yeah. In the past, the fox spirit was removed via exorcism by a priest, typically at an Inari shrine. But if this failed, or if there was no priest available to perform the ritual, in an effort to avoid the entire family of the victim being ostracized, a victim of kitsune possession might be horribly beaten or burned to drive out the kitsune. I was hoping it wouldn't go the Christianity route. <sighs> yeah, it's it, we witch trials. It's that just dark, dark yeah. place where mental illness is treated very horribly. Right. It's misunderstood and it makes it scary and it's it overreaction. It's oh, I've got a lot of thoughts on that. That's unfortunate. Even so, some families that worked with fox spirits for generations would be seen in sometimes a positive light, if mm-hmm. not kind of a eerie light, I want to say. Okay. They would utilize possession and gain incredible fortune from their partnership with the kitsune, or they could curse their enemies by killing the crops or harming the livestock. And I only found this from one source, so I, I wouldn't rely on it, but I did read that a family that was known to work generally, generationally with a kitsune would be stopped from having marriages and increasing the size of the family. Because oh, the, stopped by who? I don't know. That's one, okay. Like, I'm not saying this is... This is, this is fact, you know... You heard it here first, folks, kind of thing. This is, hey, I right. heard it through the grapevine. This is, a, okay. Yeah, that detail is definitely, I heard it through the grapevine. It just, it interested me. Like, okay, because working generationally with a kitsune to that much advantage mm-hmm. is very powerful. Yes. And to be on the outside of that, I would think would be very intimidating. So the idea of wanting to control the size of that family makes sense. Right. It's just an interesting little... Exactly as you said, heard it through the grapevine. Many kitsune myths involve a feature of their power that looks like round white balls known as hoshinotama or star balls. They glow with a ghostly light and are often depicted to more closely resemble jewels or pearls. Hmm. So if you remember, sometimes at Shrines of Inari, they'll be holding a jewel in their mouth or a pearl. This is that. So when they're not in human form or possessing a person, they will keep the star balls in their mouths or hidden within their tails. In some stories, these orbs hold a portion of the spirit's power or the kitsune's soul. So the fox spirit will die if it's separated from this for too long. And to gain possession of the Hoshinotama is to be able to demand a promise from a kitsune. Mm -hmm. A 12th century Japanese story retold by Tyler Royale in Japanese Tales goes, 
Confound you, snapped the fox. Give me back my ball. The man ignored his pleas till finally it said tearfully, All right, you've got the ball, but you don't know how to keep it. It won't be any good to you. For me, it's a terrible loss. I tell you, if you don't give it back, I'll be your enemy forever. If you do give it back, though, I'll stick to you like a protector god. And the kitsune later saved this man from a violent robbery because he returned Mm. it. Okay. I think that's important to emphasize because there are so many stories of kitsune being tricky and mischievous, but there are also stories of a kitsune choosing to help a a person and not even specifically for their own gain. There is this way to, you know, steal from them and trick them back, but a kitsune is as likely to be loyal to someone as disloyal. They're a very neutral spirit. It's kind of like people. Yes, exactly. You, know, you might find people who are just really good and want to help and do the right thing and other people who are in it for themselves and other people who are interested in seeing the world burn. Every problem can be solved with arson, right? <laughs> Every single one. Yeah, it might create more, but nothing that a little bit more arson can't fix. Exactly. Fix your arson problem with arson. <laughs> All right. I am going to tell you a fascinating, quote, true story of Kitsune that centers around Toyotomi Hideyoshi. And he was a feudal lord and samurai that lived from 1537 to 1598. He was dubbed the second great unifier of Japan. Okay. Born a peasant, by the mid-1580s, he rose to be the chancellor of the realm and the, the imperial regent. I'm so excited about this. Okay. (laughs) I'm excited to hear it. In The Story of Japan, R. Van Bergen writes of an incident, quote, The peasants also believe that the fox is the servant of the rice god and that he can bewitch people. One of Hideyoshi's maidservants took a notion that a fox had bewitched her and was so convinced of the fact that the other servants began to be afraid of her. The matter was reported to Hideyoshi. He smiled and said there was a cure for this. He wrote a letter to the god of rice requesting him to find out which fox had done the deed and to punish him if he could give no good reasons for his action. The woman, firmly believing that this letter would have the desired effect, was soon cured. Mm. This was not the first time Hideyoshi sent a letter to Akami. He previously sent one to the dragon Kami of the sea, Ryujin, requesting that this dragon ensure the passage of Japanese warships through stormy seas. Can you imagine resting down to whom it may concern and then just handing it like, okay, the, the fox, you know, the fox are the messengers. I want to know who the messengers of the dragon god are. Who do you give that letter to? This man, who I can't emphasize enough, is a real historical human being. Right. Had nothing if not the audacity. (laughs) Yes. In the life of Toyotomi Hideyoshi by Walter Denning, he actually includes a translation of the letter to Inari as it was preserved in a Buddhist temple at Nara. Like, we (gasps) have the letter. Oh, my God. I'm so excited about that. Okay. To Inari Daimyojin, my lord, I have the honor to inform you that one of the foxes under your jurisdiction has bewitched one of my servants, causing her and others a great deal of trouble. 
I have to request that you make my new inquiries into the matter and endeavor to find out the reason of your subjects misbehaving in this way and let me know the result. If it turns out that the fox has no adequate reason to give for his behavior, you are to arrest and punish him at once. If you hesitate to take action in this matter, I shall issue orders for the destruction of every fox in the land. Any other particulars that you may wish to be informed of in reference to what has occurred, you can learn from the high priest of Yoshida. Apologizing for the imperfections of this letter, I have the honor to be your obedient servant, Hideyoshi Taiko. Wow. I can see objectively if the fox spirit is causing problems among his people, he needs to take a very firm action. But there's something very sweet to me about just a servant, and he's taken pretty extreme measures. Yeah, but, like, he's basically controlling his own reputation. He's like, my servant is being affected by Inari's foxes? I'll take care of this. I'll write a letter. And if Inari doesn't fix it, I'm going to kill every fox. And, of course, as the story goes, the woman just heard that the letter was happening and she was better. Mm -hmm. So then that rumor spreads that, he was powerful enough to tell Hinari to call off one of her servants. Mm-hmm. It's brilliant. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Now, we're going to take true story with a grain of salt here. I am not convinced that these sources are being 100% honest with us. You're not? Really? No. <laughs> what a shocking turn of events. <laughs> Who's surprised? No one. (laughs) But I do love, even if this is a lore that has grown and grown and grown around this historical figure, it's so good. Oh, it's so good. Absolutely. Okay. I read a few versions of where the word kitsune came from. Mm -hmm. And one folk etymology, as it was explained to me, is that the classical Japanese kitsune means come and sleep, and kitsune means always come. Mm. And this origin of the word was tied to a very specific story that I read across a variety of platforms. This story comes from the Nihon Ryoki Setsua collection, written between 787 and 824 AD. This is Japan's oldest collection of setswa. Mm -hmm. That's a literary genre that consists of myths, legends, and folktales. There is other evidence that this story goes back perhaps as far as 545 AD. And though the kitsune is depicted as a trickster figure, I really love that this story is different. Stories of kitsune lovers and wives remind me a lot of selkie tales. Yeah. Usually an unsuspecting man will marry a beautiful kitsune woman who proves to be a good wife. The child of a kitsune and a human, though human themselves, will possess magical powers. And the family may live a happy life, but at some point the man will learn the truth and the fox spirit will be forced to flee. Or... The man may wake as if from a dream, dirty, disoriented, and far from home. So we have selk moments that remind me of selkies. We have moments yeah. that remind me of of Faye and Rip yeah. Van Winkle. It's so many themes. It kind of even reminds me of uh, Maynock Prakanong. 
with suddenly realizing something is off with the wife that you've known. There's a lot of moments in lore where a guy's like, everything's fine. This is so fine. This woman's beautiful and everything is so fine. And then suddenly it's very not fine. Yeah. And it's very obviously very not fine. (laughs) (laughs) Have you glanced at your wife's shadow recently, sir? Oh, my God. Did you notice that it was the shape of a fox? Huh. Long to, to, to be able to keep that up long enough to have a kid with someone and they still don't know. Have you noticed that every mirror in your home has a sheet thrown over it? Are you concerned? <laughs> no, my wife is pretty and nice, so. <laughs> okay. Are you ready? This is my retelling of that story that yes, I read across I'm so a ready. platforms. A long time ago, there was a lonely man who spent his days working hard on his farm. His crops were plentiful and his livestock well-tended. His house was neatly kept, his food in rich supply. But despite his increasing age, he was unmarried. The men and women of the village would often whisper when he passed them by. He's too picky, they would say. He will die alone. Because no matter which young and healthy woman came to meet him, the farmer would shake his head and say, I will know her when I see her. The lonely man was known to walk out into the countryside at dusk, his walking stick in hand and a dog at his side. So he wasn't truly alone. He had a companion for whom he cared and who cared dearly for him. But when his house went dark at night, he had no one to hold close. And when the sun rose the next morning, he had no woman's smiles and laughter to fill his days. One evening, after a hard afternoon tending to the fields, the man took his walk, paying no mind to the softly falling rain. At his age, it was important he stretched his back and legs, and after so many years, this was his habit, and he and the dog would not be stopped by a bit of water. Familiar with his path and accustomed to the summer storms, the man was surprised when a flash of lightning revealed the silhouette of a woman in his path. His dog was uncannily silent as they came upon the stranger. She was tall and thin, wrapped in sodden clothes with her dark hair clinging to her face with the rain. Her eyes flashed at him in the stormy light, and he said, soft as the raindrops, I will know her when I see her. The man, always gracious and caring, took the woman to the shelter of his home as the rain grew ever more torrential. And though he offered her lodging that he called temporary, he knew that she would be the woman who stayed. And stay she did. The farmer humbly explained that he could offer her only his plentiful crops, his well-tended livestock, his neatly kept house, and rich supply of food. But, he added hopefully, if she married him, he swore she would never be lonely. She gladly accepted with a smile that shone like a second moon in the sky. The pair shared a good life for many years. She was dutiful and loving, quick and clever. His dog was wary of her, perhaps due to the surprise of their first meeting in the dark storm, but the trio lived happily. The man was overjoyed when his wife finally told him that she was carrying his child, and he found it a double blessing when he discovered that his dog was also pregnant. The farmer dreamed of his son and the pup growing up together, running through the fields as an inseparable pair. And it was this dream that carried him through the hard months of caring for his wife and the dog, while they were less able to work on the farm. His dream, like that of his hopes for a wife, came true. His wife bore him a son, and the dog gave birth to a single puppy. And from the crying and squealing of moment one, 
the two babies were inseparable. The man's eyes filled with such love and pride when he looked at his wife holding their child that he thought he might collapse with happiness. But as the pair of newborns grew, the pup became violent toward the woman. He would put himself between her and her baby, barking and growling and lunging until the man came in and restrained the young dog. You must kill that dog, his wife said, clutching their son and looking to her husband with terrified eyes. If you do not, that dog will kill me. One day, when their son was nearly two years old and the puppy had grown into a dog, the farmer came running into the house when he heard a desperate cry ringing across the field. He threw open the door to find that the pup had savaged his wife's arm, leaving her crying and bleeding and trembling with fear. Just as he strode in, the dog leapt at her again, and before the farmer's eyes, his wife disappeared in the fluttering of robes and silks, and there, amongst the fabric, crouched a bewildered-looking fox with nine bushy tails. The fox fled from the house immediately, careening through the now-open door and across the field, running and stumbling with one bloody leg. For weeks, the man wandered about his home as if in a dream. He could not believe that the wife whom he loved with his whole heart was a fox spirit who could bring him such happiness and love, yet disappear in an instant. So the man gave away the young dog who'd so brutally harmed his wife, and he took up his evening walks again. This time, he kept his walking stick in one hand, and held the small and eager hand of his son in the other. At the edge of his farthest field, rain or shine, he would stand and call, Fox Spirit, you are my wife, you are the mother of my son. I promised you a safe and prosperous home. I loved you the moment I saw you, and I swore that you would never be lonely. You may always come home when you please. What was done could not be undone, and what was known could not be unknown. The man could not recreate the innocence of their marriage, and the ancient fox spirit could never be a mere woman again. Though the men and women of the village would whisper sad stories of the lonely man who lost his wife, and who cared for his son all by himself, an observant passerby would see that each evening, when the sun fell behind the distant mountains, a beautiful woman would walk hand in hand with the man. They would pass through the plentiful crops, past the well-tended livestock, and into the neatly kept house. There would be the soft sounds of a lullaby that hushed the cries of the growing boy that lived within. Then there would come the soft laughter of a couple in the dark, warm home. If the passerby glanced again in the early morning, as the sun rose lazily into the sky, a quick and clever fox with nine swishing tails would slip out into the countryside. It was not for the people of the village to decide who was lonely, and so the truth of the story continued. A long time ago, there was a farmer who waited many years to find his wife. He said, I will know her when I see her, and know her he did. There's so much to that story. The, well, the fact that she was a nine-tailed fox, really ancient and powerful, yeah. and chose to live this life. Um, there's the, the, the symbol of the baby being born at the same time as the single pup, which is so unusual because dogs always give birth in litters. And 
I, I want to know the bond between that boy and the dog, because clearly the dog was trying to protect the boy, and it didn't recognize a threat in the boy, but it did in the mother. Oh, it's so interesting. I also was really interested in the fact that the older dog didn't go after mm-hmm. the Kitsune woman, because in a lot of stories, any dog yeah. is going after the fox spirit. So in my retelling of it, because a lot of versions of the story are very short, mm-hmm. I wanted to include that the the older dog was wary, like there was some reverence because this mm-hmm. was a nine-tailed fox. She's mm-hmm. very powerful and old. But at the same time, she's undone by a dog bite. It's it's just so interesting. Yeah. And the idea that now that she's been seen, she can't go back. That it Yeah, it seems like can't go back fully, but kind of does somewhat. Or maybe maybe it's not even can't, maybe just won't. Yeah. Or she like fulfilled her time or or Mm -hmm. and uh, so many of the stories when the man finds out they've been tricked by a kitsune they're over it they're so mad and this one it's that potential origin for the word it's like come back to me you're welcome here it's just very sweet look a wholesome story yeah (laughs) you did tell a wholesome story i was so ready for it to end very sadly and it didn't girl (laughs) <laughs> it was an effort. No, I was ready too. And then when no. I stumbled across this one, I was like, nope, nope, I'm doing the wholesome one. This is so good. <laughs> I also, you know, I wonder, this man is depicted as so picky and then he's just super cool with a woman coming in from out in the countryside. I wonder if there isn't as much of an element of being tricked. Because, mm. you know, it right. is popular lore. If you meet a mysterious woman out in the country and she's super beautiful, you know, probably a fox spirit. Probably. So maybe it's just like, okay, I've been waiting this whole time for a yeah, fox I wonder. spirit. And there's so much missing from a cultural perspective that we just don't have. Maybe someone who is reading this story hundreds of years ago in Japan would just know, obviously, he was tricked. It doesn't need to be said. Right, right. There the different versions of this story that I read ranged from one tiny little paragraph to mm-hmm. one page. There, And the one page was just a more descriptive version of the one paragraph. It, I mean, this is from a, a written book, but it does have that oral tradition mm-hmm. energy. So that's that's Kitsune. It was really interesting to research. I, I want more. I want to add this to the the Willing and Fable World Tour. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, I have not seen a ton of anime or read a ton of manga, but I've definitely seen elements of this entire Kitsune story in those stories and not even realized it. The same thing with Nine Tales from Pokemon. Didn't even realize. I came across an article title that I actually really should dig deeper into, but the piece was about how pokemon are bringing yokai folklore into popular culture in mm. a big way i i i'm not super familiar with pokemon so it wasn't something that i like would have fully <laughs> the original 151 i've got locked and loaded but after that i'm out i don't really know them I thought Pikachu had a black tip on his tail, and I've heard that that means that I'm part of the, like, Bernstein Bernstein universe or something, so I'm not. Huh. Does he not? I think no, he doesn't. Does, does Raichu? I don't even know what a Raichu is. 
I assume it's like a Pikachu evolution. He's the, he's the yeah, he's the Pikachu evolution. Okay, he's got little black tips on his ears and little black tips on his his fingers. Okay, Pikachu has black tips on his ears, and the base of his tail is is a darker brown. So, actually, this is an important question, Tracy. Are you from the Bernstein or the Bernstein universe? Bernstein. Oh, fully. I'm for so, sure. For sure, which is not how it is. We. How did we end up in this awful timeline? I know. Oh, I love the rabbit holes of the Mandela effect, and also glitch in the Matrix. Stories. Oof. Oof. I love it. Yeah, most most of those things I think can be chalked up to like forgetting branding. Like there's one about cereal, Fruit Loops or something. Oh, f- f- yeah. Forgetting branding or um, a lot of people who have like glitch in the Matrix stories were like, I was about to fall asleep. And it's like, okay, so you had a dream. Right. But I do love digging into them. But for some reason, the Berenstein, Berenstain gets me. The famous one is the the Nelson Mandela one. Oh, uh, this is so embarrassing. But I thought he was dead long before he was dead. I didn't. I I didn't um, because I remember them announcing that Amy Winehouse was performing at his funeral, and I was like, I can't imagine two more different people. Like, uh, if you if I had to pick mm. the person I would least expect to perform at Nelson Mandela's funeral. Amy Winehouse would be up there. It was just unexpected, and that, that always stuck with me. Yeah, I'm very embarrassed to say that I had thought that he passed. While in prison? Yeah. And I think that that's one of those things that's just, like, my brain made that assumption. Like, I just put that there. I don't know. But so many people did. I guess. Yeah, that's when I'm very firmly on the not. I, I, I never thought he died in the 90s. I never thought he died in prison. I knew he became president. I knew... He lived a very long time, but I was also very firmly Berenstein. So I had Berenstein Baird's books mm-hmm. that were hand-me-downs to me. Like, they were beat up, old, mm-hmm. scrappy, like, been passed. You know when, you like, there's kids in an area that when they just get passed around to, like, a whole neighborhood or something? Yeah. yeah. I think they were my older cousins, but, like, I can picture it. I can picture it. And if they... I know my family then passed them along to someone else. Mm-hmm. I at one point tried to go look to see if we had one, but absolutely Please not. Please send us either which universe you're a part of, if you have any cool stories about the Mandela effect or glitches in the Matrix. You can write them into willingandfable at gmail.com or on our website. I want to read them very badly. You know, it's funny that we were talking about this on the Kitsune episode. I didn't find a specific folktale about it, but there is reference to Kitsune controlling time and that driving people mad, so it being used as a way to trick them. It's stories from around the world. It's so... It's wonderful. Themes, the themes, the themes. You did such a good job. Thanks. I'm glad that we covered this because I... Feel like I now have a way to fill in this hole in media, mm-hmm. but it, it this episode in particular made me feel like I need more. I I always feel that way, but this episode no, in I particular, agree. it's just it's not enough, and I just won't commit to sources that I didn't find a couple of. So yes, like ah uh, ah. Uh, so if someone's an expert, please call. <laughs> 
call, email, message. Yes, call or write in. <laughs> Text me, call me, beat me if you want to reach me. <laughs> <laughs> we love it. Okay. Is it my turn? Tracy, Tracy. Yeah. Tell me something good. Okay. So my something good is really simple. I dropped my dog off at my parents' house before we came to record. And one, I'm just very grateful that my mother volunteers to watch my dog. She's a wonderful dog grandma. Rowan, I don't think Malcolm has ever been as excited to see me as he was to see my mom this morning. Mm -hmm. It He genuinely couldn't keep his emotions in. He was like whimpering and wiggling and losing his mind and and it was just so cute and and my sister was there and she was really really sweet with him and then I'm um, going over after we record to pick him up and uh, my brother-in-law makes the best burgers like homemade burgers with their homemade burger sauce and I'm just like very grateful I have a wonderful family who's watching my dog for me so that he's happy and excited and like having a great day while I record the podcast and then I get to go over there and have a delicious meal. Like I'm just taking a moment to appreciate that in my life because it is so wonderful and I don't want to take it for granted. I am also very grateful that your mom is doing that. So thank her for me. Will do. Because <laughs> <laughs> I love sweet Malcolm, but he's so wholesome. Like he just wears every emotion he's ever had on his sleeve and yes. a lot of times that manifests as barking. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he's just such a big teddy bear. He's so sweet. His new favorite thing is if you sit on the ground, he runs over and like kind of leans on you and walks in a circle and then just sits in your lap. Oh no, he doesn't know how big he is. <laughs> he has no idea. He only does it if you sit on the ground and kind of invite him over. But it's my favorite because he's this huge 70 pound lap dog. Oh, they always are. It's so cute. It's so cute. It just, my life is good. I've got wonderful people in it. And I'm I'm very grateful for my animals and my friends and family and people. So that's my something good. I'm just taking a moment to appreciate what I have. And now it is your turn, Rowan, to tell me something good. Okay, my something good is that I did the thing. I now have an Apple Pencil. I can do the Procreate tablet yes. situation. You're a digital artist now. <laughs> okay, but you have been so kind about teaching me little things. I'm in that phase where you're learning a new program where you like know the thing is possible and it's mm -hmm. infuriating. Um, and I am not like by any means even close to what you and Jamie can do at all with art, but it is so satisfying to just take it. And it takes me quite a long time, but it is satisfying mm -hmm. to watch a movie or a show and just sketch oh, yeah. and color. Oh, it's so relaxing and meditative. Yeah, it's it's just really fun. And I I have had a couple people recommend to me, because I've just been asking around because I'm realizing mm -hmm. a lot of people use Procreate mm -hmm. for professional, but also just for fun. And I've had multiple people recommend getting a paper-like iPad screen protector and how big a difference it makes. Mm, maybe I should try that after all these years. Like, like, I think at least five friends of mine have said <laughs> it It really changes your ability to treat the pencil like a pencil, like a drawing mm -hmm. utensil. Mm -hmm. 
So I'm going to have to do it, but I have to do it in a place where I can pay someone to put the screen protector on for me because I can't. I can't. It, I get so over the top about the screen protector going on. (laughs) Yeah. It's stressful. It is not my finest um, Mm -hmm. trying to put that on. So I, I, I always shell out for literally anyone else to do it for me. (laughs) (laughs) Me with putting furniture together, I will, I have some wonderful friends who are willing to do it for me because I can't do it. I hate it. I can't. It stresses me out. I become a really terrible version of myself. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're a great version of yourself teaching me Procreate so often. I love getting to teach you Procreate. Every time you ask me a question, I get so excited. And then I try and type out an answer and it just is going to be way too hard. So I take little videos. Tracy makes me little video tutorials, guys. (laughs) I get so – and they always start with me giggling in excitement. So cute. The other day you sent me one and then not even what felt like a full second later, you sent me one that's like, no, 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 pay attention to this one. You you asked a very simple question. I was like, I have the answer. And then live, Rowan got to watch me record myself not have the answer. And then five <laughs> minutes later, I sent her a video and it was figured it out. <laughs> sent it. Uh, so that's really fun. It's uh, nice doing something creative that I like don't, can't, will not monetize. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you just get to enjoy it. And you can play with so many things because Procreate has all these features that you can have the canvas assist you. So you, I've done some um, just really mindless um, sketches where you can just do different shapes over and over and they'll duplicate and swirl around and it, it just does, it's, can just be nothing. And yeah. it's so nice. Yeah. So look at us. And I have to say, I, we like, we are now in season three, but it yeah. because I'm so used to recording for so long all the time, it feels like we're still at the very, very beginning of season three, recording-wise. Uh, so right. it's just nice to be recording again. It is. I, this podcast, we always say it as much work as it is, I wouldn't trade that because I always feel good having done it and researched it and recording it. It always makes me happier to have done it. Listen, I will shout at my computer, give me a source, you coward, but... <laughs> I love it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so it's because of all of you that we get to do this podcast. We love doing it and we thank you for your support. So remember that stories grow with the telling. And if you like what we do, tell a friend or tell a foe. And we'll see you soon. Okay. Thank you so much for joining us for the Willing and Fable podcast. This episode was written and produced by Tracy Harrison and Rowan Hall. That's me. Our editor is Tyler Fetzik. Our music is by Taylor Ash. And our logo is by Jamie Harrison. If you ever want to watch or read what we're reading, head over to willingandfable.com for our show notes and custom merch. Or find us at Willing and Fable on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok to join the discussion. We hope you'll rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast using your favorite listening source. And check out Willing and Fable on Patreon, where we have more than a few surprises for you, including custom artwork, stories, and access to our secret Discord channel. And of course, join us next time for another round of original retellings and in-depth research on the history, mystery, and mythology that makes the world so fascinating. Thank you.
and the Noji... Why? Why? Yeah, 1941. Not very far ago. Long? 